Welcome back to Fighting for Justice. Uh, it's Dave and JJ with... Whatever, everybody. JJ here. <laughs> Sorry, I got too excited. With our special guest again, uh, Judge mm -hmm. Stephanie Sawyer. Welcome, welcome. Good morning, everybody. Good afternoon. Um, if you saw our previous episode that she was on, um, you know, we felt like we had to bring her back because we didn't have enough time to really get a deep dive into what she's about, okay, right. and what she's working on and things she's doing for criminal justice reform. Um, so JJ and I, along with the judge, we wanted to, you know, take this opportunity to spend just one-on-one -on -one time talking to you about, you know, the things you're doing, how you're helping just everyone, the criminal justice system. Um, and I'll kick it off with just, you know, anybody who watches our show, they know that JJ and I, while we do other areas of law, we generally practice in criminal defense, right? So we do have a lot of experience, you know, in front of judges throughout the Commonwealth, uh, specifically on criminal justice cases, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we all know very intimately that, you know, how that process goes, right? From beginning to end. And, you know, what we're going to be focusing on today specifically is kind of the end part for ourselves and our clients, right? Mm -hmm. So at the end of a case, whether it's, you know, found guilty by jury, plea deal, however we end that case, right? The case eventually will be put in your hands or the judge's hands on the case, okay? Mm -hmm. For the main purpose for sentencing, right? Now we know, you know, we've been through this, <laughs> I mean, thousands of times, right? Sentencing generally kind of takes the same path, right? There's guidelines we go by, you know, it's not really a surprise for anybody in the courtroom who has done it. And the judge does his or her job, right? They hand down a sentence and the case for at least the attorneys, right? The case is over. Mm -hmm. Now, um, in your case, I know, right? In any judge's case, that potentially will not be the last time you see that criminal defendant or any criminal defendant, right? Mm -hmm. um, because uh, we we know too, too well that almost any criminal sentence comes with probation, parole, right? You know, and really for our viewers, all that means is it keeps you in the criminal justice system, okay? If you're not familiar, I'm glad, right? But I'm sure everybody's kind of familiar with how probation works, right? You're you're well, under supervision. Well, as I say, how it operates. Correct. Right, right. Correct. And there's, and there's <laughs> one one kind of caveat that you that you talk about. There's really three things that can happen. You're either going to be on parole, you're going to be on probation, or you're going to go on like into prison incarceration for a little while, and then you're going to be on parole. Or probation. Correct. But there are very few times where you're just going to have like a flat sentence. It does happen, but it's rare that you're not going to be on some form of supervision by essentially really as the judge. Now, a lot of people call it, oh, it's probation who's watching me. It's my parole officer who's watching me. Not really. That's really kind of a delegation of the judge, right? The judge is saying, watch this person for X amount of years, but if there's ever a problem, Bring it back to me. Right. Correct. Right. So right. that they're, they're really just like supervising for a judge, yep. right? But and most people forget that. Exactly. Yes. Correct. And that is a that is a very and this judge. is where you know the this is where you come in specifically, right? Mm -hmm. So if somebody violates, right? You and I know, uh, just like you said, right? Then whatever petitions get filed, great. They come back in front of their sentencing judge, right? At least for the most part. Okay? Sure, sure. Um, and I know this is something that you've been working on. That's very close to you. The one thing that you know you don't like about that process, right, is the only time judges are seeing criminal defendants really is for punishment, punishment. 
right? And there's nothing outside of that, which I understand, right? We go through it with our clients. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where I want to get into what you've been working on, right? What you do, what you believe in your project, because um, I think it's awesome as a criminal defense lawyer. So if you can just start out, you know, how are you different than what we just described? Well, um, there are, uh, uh, um, the biggest reason that I'm different is because I don't believe that it's appropriate for people to only see judges for punishment purposes, right? Because we already know ordinary citizens has a huge trust gap between the criminal justice system and ordinary uh, uh, um, citizens, right? The way it operates only increases that chasm mm -hmm. uh, between the two. Sure. Because if the only time judges, let me just back up for a second, just because you alluded to it, but I want to kind of spell it out a little bit more for, for, for your listeners or, 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 or viewers, right? So once a person is either convicted by a jury or on a waiver trial by a judge or pleads guilty, that person has to see a sentencing judge. When they see the sentencing judge, essentially, as, as uh, uh, JJ said, that they basically will either get sentenced to probation and they're flubbed off to a probation officer or Department of Correction and they're taken to, to jail. And at some point, 90-something percent get out. And so that means at some point, even if they're incarcerated, they will get out and be relegated to a parole officer. And even sometimes they might even have probation after that time frame is over, right? And so the judge typically, except for uh, um, diversion programs that are designed differently, but in the general model, typically it is the probation or parole officer that signifies to the judge that they believe some violation has occurred, either because the person got a new arrest, got a new conviction, mm -hmm. or have not been following the rules of probation as articulated by probation and parole. And so the next time that sentencing judge sees that person is when probation or parole requests a violation of probation hearing. Mm -hmm. And so when that person comes back in front of the judge, the judge has very little experience with them beyond the sentencing or possibly a prior VOP. Sure. And so they naturally think, well, the probation or parole officer is relegated to see this person at least two or three times, you know, right. in whatever period of time it is. And mm -hmm. so they say, okay, the, the probation or parole officer has a, a um, more of a relationship with the defendant. Sure. They know them better. They know their habits better. And so quite naturally what the judge will do is follow their recommendation. Sure. And in following their recommendation and waiting for the probation or parole officer's schedule of violation of probation hearing, two things happen. The first thing that happened is people get confused. Mm -hmm. The defendant, as well as probation, they get confused. They think that they hold the key to the gate. Sure. I mean, how many times have you heard a probation or parole, somebody on probation or parole saying, oh, I better do this or that, or my parole officer is going to lock me up, or my probation officer is going to lock me yeah, up? Correct. All what, the time. All, all the, the time. time. But the problem is they don't have the authority correct. to make that decision. <laughs> all they have the authority to do is to detain you to get you back in front of your supervising judge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the judge, by almost, I, I don't have any statistics in front of me, but I'm willing to bet 99% of the time following what probation asks to do, they are then relegating that authority <clears throat> to them by perception. Mm -hmm. Yep. 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 The defendant only got in front of you because the probation or parole officer opined the revocation. That person only got punished the next time because the judge depended upon the conclusions that were met by probation and parole. Mm -hmm. And so, again, I, I don't want to be misconstrued. It's not about fault. It's about structure. 
and what the natural uh, um, uh, the natural next step is right. based upon True. that structure. True. So based upon that structure, the defendant is going to be punished again mm -hmm. because the judge is going to follow the recommendation by the probation and parole officer. And again, there are very few circumstances under which there will be status listings of probation. They're VOPs, violation of probation. Mm -hmm. So when the defendant gets that subpoena to show up, they automatically know, oh, God, I'm going to have a problem. Yep, right. right? Yep. So, and then, so the second thing that happens in addition to the confusion on where the actual authority lies, the second <clears throat> problem is there's already a huge trust gap between ordinary citizens and the criminal justice system. Absolutely. Well, if after being convicted or found guilty or, or pleading guilty, the only time you see a judge is when it's time to get punished again, how does that do anything but further the chasm right. in between mm -hmm. ordinary systems and the criminal justice system? If criminal justice judges, whether it's in the state court or federal court, are only there to punish people at the... Uh, a behest of pro uh, probation and parole, when do they become part of the solution to help? Never. Well, that's not absolutely true because <laughs> resource-based sentencing exactly. and supervision true. is you ask me what, we, what I do differently. That I, is at its heart <laughs> what I do differently. And um, so just to give you a little background, um, essentially when I first uh, uh, was appointed judge in 2014, uh, um, and then, of course, um, I had to run to win the seat for 2000, in 2016 in the Court of Common Pleas. Initially, it was not my intention to, hey, can I come up with a system of accountability that mm -hmm. will help to reduce mass incarceration? Mm -hmm. That's okay. not at all how it hit my brain. Right. What hit my brain was looking at how in the 80s and 90s mass incarceration pro proliferated um, because of the, the war on drugs and because of various other issues, uh, um, crack, this, that, and the other. Mm -hmm. The explosion of mass incarceration happened in the 80s and 90s. Here we are in 2023, and we're maintaining the explosion that happened in the 80s or 90s. Mm -hmm. So when I hit the bench in 2014, I said to myself, what are we as a system doing to maintain the explosion that happened in the 80s and 90s. Mm. And so that's when I realized, oh, once ensnared in the criminal justice system, if you only see judges for further punishment, that's what maintains a system of mass incarceration. Mm -hmm. So we had to stop that. And so uh, um, it's my experience that folks, that uh, uh, desperate people, they make really they make, bad decisions. Yeah, of course. They do. Right? Of course. And then when they get called on those bad decisions, they double down and make even dumber ones. Mm -hmm. Usually, yes. Right? You're, you're def criminal defense attorneys. <laughs> what, how it works. Tell, me, yes. tell me about the stories that you hear of your clients. Yeah, no, no, right? no. They, they, they say things like, I had a new child and I needed money for some shoes. Correct. I, I, and I have a 10th grade <clears> education, <throat> so I went back out on the corner. Yep. That's the story you hear, right? Most of them mm -hmm. are just or, really bad at making in-the-moment decisions. Right. Or, you know, I got into an argument and, and, and it escalated quickly because, again, we're talking about traumatized, mm -hmm. desperate, yep. disenfranchised folks that, have a, that need to reimagine their lives in order for them to be able to be productive citizens, right? Mm -hmm. You can't be something you've never mm -hmm. seen. Right. And many of your clients never seen it. Right. So actually, let me let me kind of back you into because you kind of answered a question already. But so your your um, resource based sentencing, right? Through resource based the, sentencing and supervision. And supervision. So 
the resource base usually, and tell me if you agree, like essentially when judges, like you were talking about, when judges see people, it's not resource-based sentencing or supervision. What it really is is punishment, which equals mass incarceration. Correct. But it seems as though that is, you have given it a, a new name of, listen, we're going to take resources within the community, and instead of using a word that like punishment or jail or mass incarceration, let's, let, let's lighten it up with sentencing, which is what we're doing, and supervising, right? right. But we're going to use our resources to do that and fight mass incarceration. Okay, that's exactly correct, except let me just throw this little caveat out there for the audience because, you know, <clears throat> as a person of color raised in uh, um, not affluent areas, right, um, we all know some of those folks that are only going to wreak havoc on the rest of us. We know those folks, <laughs> yeah. right? And so... There's nothing wrong with incarceration mm -hmm. if it will help keep communities safe. It right. is the mass incarceration part that is so terribly offensive. And in you know, my estimation, somewhere between 7 to 10, 12%, maybe a little bit less than 12. I think it's 10%. People argue back and forth about what the number is. But let's just say it's 10 to 15% of the folks that commit crimes want to commit crimes because they enjoy hurting people, because they're uh, so broken themselves that they're only going to mm -hmm. wreak havoc on others, um, that, they, that, that they're just beyond the ability to have them reimagine their lives into being productive individuals. So let's just take that larger number, which I don't fully believe in, but let's say 15% mm -hmm. are that. Mm -hmm. That means 85% just need help. Right. That's what resource-based sentencing and supervision is for. Correct. That 85% that needs help. If you have offended because you're desperate, because you have a, a, a deficiency in your education, because you are traumatized, because you are drug addicted, because you have been victimized. If there is a because you can put at the end of it that will assist you in not offending, mm -hmm. that's what resource-based sentencing and supervision is for. So let's, let's be really, really, really clear. I recently sentenced a, a 60-year-old man um, who, after 20 years not having a new offense but doing 10 years in jail, right, mm -hmm. and having some violence in his background and so forth— he was convicted by a jury, which I believe they got it right, mm -hmm. <laughs> of taking an 11-year-old in an isolated area of a playground and hemming her up against the wall and exposing himself and about to rape her when somebody happened upon it and tried to stop it. He didn't run away. He pulled the knife mm -hmm. on the guy who tried to stop it. I don't have any programs for you. You're going straight to jail. <laughs> yep. right? right? So let's right. be really clear. Resource-based sentencing and supervision presumes that there is a resource that one can be given that will address the reason for your offense in the first place. Mm -hmm. And the supervision piece is requiring the defendant to utilize it. Resource-based sentence and supervision at its core is a system of accountability right. whereby resources are brought into the courtroom and directly given to the defendant and the resource and the defendant must be fully accountable to the supervising and sentencing judge. And the okay. sentencing and supervising judge has to be accountable to make a decent assessment as to what are the reasons for the offense. Are there resources that could lead to conditions 
that can address the reasons for the offense. And because the people that are in your courtroom don't have money, the judge is responsible to provide a cost-free resource Mm -hmm. to fulfill the condition and crucially thereafter a status listing to check on them. Not a violation of probation hearing sure, sure. where I'm presuming that violation is on the table, mm-hmm. right. but a status of your progress in the comprehensive sentencing that you received along with the resources and that the the, the time of supervision depends on the individual. If I have a drug-addicted right. individual, I sure. need to see him in 30 days or her in 30 days. Mm-hmm. But if I have somebody with a 10th grade education on his second or third poid, but doesn't have a drug addiction issue, they have a broke issue, yeah. right? Yep. You have to get them an employment resource, you have to get them an educational resource, and you have to make them use it. Mm-hmm. So I right. might not have to see them for, for 60 or 90 days because right. I'm not worried about their volatility. I'm worried about them reimagining their life to become productive citizens to therefore not reoffend. Sure. I, I like that for a couple of reasons. Number one, it goes right into what you were saying. Because there is something powerful that when people who are on probation, who have messed up, can go to a a figure that like a judge in a courtroom and can hear that judge kind of speak back into them and say, hey, good job. Mm-hmm. Hey, I gave you this. You're doing what I asked you to do. Keep doing this. And you, you know, that so like. You're absolutely right. Sometimes there the the fear of just going in to see the judge right. can ruin everything. Yep. And you're like, listen, you can't have the like you you need to have a working relationship with the judge. They need to believe in you and you need to believe in them. And that that kind of takes the power kind of a little bit back from the probation officers and it allows them to skip the middleman and say, okay, you know what? This judge is giving me a fair shot. But let me give you a little pushback because we're not skipping probation. What we're doing is we're better supervising probation. Fair enough. Yeah, we're fair not enough. because again, well, you're making it more effective. Right. right? Because, because, because not just sitting there on supervision, you're making them a productive part of society through probation. But the super, but the probation officer, once you issue a comprehensive order with a resource, mm-hmm. that is a part of the order. Yep. So probation will know, oh, this defendant is supposed to go to Fruit of the Family Table for trauma counseling. This defendant is supposed to go to Power Core to, to you know, for, for uh, um, a, a Power Core is a wonderful program, by the way. But I'm just saying, they, they probation will then know, let me check with the resource and the defendant, right. not just let me just lean on the defendant. Did you get a job yet? Yeah, Did you check right, this one out yet? Right. Did you do this? And that? Hey, Judge Sawyer ordered you to go so-and-so place. Did you go? Well, you know I'm going to tell you you didn't go. Yep. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So, so it, 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 what it does is it puts the genie back in the bottle. And puts probation where they were intended to be, as the, those that are assisting judges mm-hmm. in supervision. Yep. Not and mind you, and let's let, let's not beat up on probation. Let's let's be let's be fair, right? right? Because probation is underpaid oh, yeah. and yes. overworked, mm-hmm. right? So they get a huge caseload. They get paid very little money, mm-hmm. and they're supposed to bring all of this caring and understanding and all of the the, the, the sociological uh, uh, um, understandings to the table. 
No, the judge is supposed to do that. Mm -hmm. The judge is the one that has been entrusted by the citizens, either through being elected or appointed. The judge is the one that has the responsibility to determine the direction of that sentence and the direction of that supervision and to decide if that person in front of me, are they just broke and on the corner selling drugs or are they in the back with a gun liking to shoot it to everybody? They, they We have to figure out who's the person that does this out of a depraved heart, Correct. out of out of nefarious intention, and who is the person that does it out of desperation and, quite frankly, lack of education? And the latter person needs help. Yep. Right. Okay. And I mean, it's I'm kind of jumping to it, but I want to. I have to ask this question, and you because you've, in my opinion, answered it. Right. It's not. This is not my opinion, but I want to know how you would respond. Right. Because I I kind of feel this way if I have a conversation about criminal justice reform, what I think is wrong, what I experience, everybody always jumps to, you know, you, you, you want to be soft on crime. <laughs> uh, yeah. Now, listen, I will say you don't strike me as a judge that would be soft on anything. So when, because, but how would you respond to criticism that you're, you're being soft on crime, right? That's so easy because guess what? <laughs> because guess what? I'm being just the opposite. I'm being harder on crime. I'm, Resource-based sentencing supervision is a system of accountability that requires people to reimagine their life and produce. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't produce, you will be punished. Mm -hmm. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> like instead of throwing people in jail as the first option, using jail as the tool by which you leverage compliance is the best way to do this. And even in, uh, um, I'll throw it up here so people can see it, even in my binder for resource-based sentencing and supervision, uh, in the frequently asked questions, you talk about how do you garner uh, uh, um, defendants to comply. Well, again, using incarceration as a leverage tool, number one, making sure they have the proper resource to address the proper issue with them, number mm -hmm. two, but you know, it's not being soft on crime at all because the fact of the matter is the tough, the alleged tough on crime approach, meaning lock everybody up, mm -hmm. the lock everybody up approach is responsible for the more vicious crimes that you see. You take somebody who is standing on a corner selling drugs because they have no money, and then you just, instead of making them get a high school diploma, getting them a job, watching them reimagine their lives, giving them parenting classes so they can parent their children, instead of doing that, you put them in jail, you take everything from them, they go through whatever trauma is that happens to survive in jail, right, yep. and then ultimately you open the door up. They have no home to go to. They have no money. They have no work experience. They have no resources, and they say, okay, you've done your time. You can leave now. Well, what in the heck do you think a desperate, hungry, no place to lay their head person is going to do? They're going to, one, be traumatized and probably exercise that trauma on other people from mm -hmm. whatever they went through. They're going to two, not sit in the corner and be hungry. They're not going to watch you eat a steak over there while they're hungry. Right. They're going to cut your throat and take that steak. Correct. Correct. Right? Yep. They're not going to walk 
20 miles, they're going to steal your car, mm-hmm. right? When you create that desperation, creating that desperation through hard, tough on crime kind of approach, creating that desperation creates that crime. And it creates vicious crime. Mm-hmm. It creates the, I don't care about my life, so why do I care, care about, about your life kind yep. of a crime. You take people, my mother told me a long time ago, people with nothing to lose are the most dangerous people in the world. And when they have nothing to lose, not just financially, I mean emotionally Mentally. spent. I mean, they don't care about their own life. Yep. So putting them in jail to, to let them be entrenched in this, I don't care about life and life. Life is not beautiful. Life is horrible. Look at all of my experiences. You, This system is creating the vicious people, the broken folks that come out and wreak havoc on everyone else. It is not tough. It is not easy on crime to say you are 30 years old, only went to the eighth, ninth grade, and I'm going to make you learn how to get a job. I'm going to make you learn how to pass a, a, a GED test. I'm going to show you how to reimagine you. I'm going to give you uh, 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 financial literacy classes so you'll know if you're an entrepreneur at Spirit, okay, let's figure out how you can open up a business and you can mm-hmm. make money this way. Having to reimagine your life to become productive, to give them a stake in society that is the harder thing to do, to say to heck with you and stick Absolutely. you in a box and wait till it's time for you to come out and just prey on everyone else. You're creating the, the, the crime that you claim to want to stop. Right. Beautifully articulated. So <laughs> let me actually, let me jump forward a little bit to uh, the actual resources themselves. So what resources, does, and just so I'm clear or so everybody can be clear, this is something that you do in your courtroom, correct? Is that is that correct? Or that is correct. That is what I do in my courtroom now. This is what I expect that every criminal court judge will hopefully be doing in the future, um, okay. because well, I, sorry, I, just, I just want to make sure we're all clear. So what we're talking about from here on out, the actual resources and things that. Um, will be asking you about. These are things that you have actually implemented within Mm -hmm. your courtroom. So you're talking from personal experience in your courtroom, correct? Right now we uh, um, have an empirical data team. Uh, Okay, so uh, we'll get to the Sentencing Foundation. Resource-based sentencing supervision is the blueprint. It Mm -hmm. is the program, right? Um, Having run it for a few years, I realized that it needs logistical support. Mm -hmm. It needs an overflow of resources that are vetted and revetted. It needs... Uh, um, and it, it, it needs uh, uh, um, organizations sure. and databases where you're connecting judges to resources in their respective jurisdictions um, mm-hmm. that we are making sure that they, that, that uh, um, the program is being run the right way. It has an integrity unit and an establishment unit, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. So uh, um, the Sentencing Foundation is the logistical support for resource-based sentencing and supervision. Okay. Um, so when I show this right here to you, this is the binder that me and a few of my colleagues in the First Judicial District have because these resources are in the Philadelphia mm-hmm. uh, um, okay. and surrounding county areas. But as other judges connect to the Sentencing Foundation and they open up in their jurisdictions, then through the intern program that, again, is described in the book, how you create it, how you use it, the scripts that you need, everything is right here. This is the blueprint. And in fact, the Sentencing Foundation now has uh, um, interns that say we get uh, an interested judge in Georgia to say, you know what, that sounds like a great program. I'd love to learn more about it. All they have to do is go to the sentencingfoundation.org, 
go onto the judicial uh, um, uh, um, button there. Mm -hmm. As you can see, I'm not IT at all. <laughs> <laughs> Drop down menu. I got you. There it is. There it is. There it is. I'm gonna put this up too, and then, so they can see it. And then you reach out to uh, our coordinator for judges, and once you're registered, you get a binder of your own. Mm -hmm. And if it's a new jurisdiction that we're opening up, we walk you through getting the resources in your area so that to fill in the resource area here, which is why every every couple of months we make sure that those resources that are underperforming get removed. Mm -hmm. Those, so it's a system of accountability. Everyone has to, the, the lawyers have to stay in contact with their, with, with their clients and, and know what's going on on how to present what their statuses are. The resources have to talk to the judge and say, hey, this person is or isn't showing up and what this is what their pro progress does or doesn't look like. Mm -hmm. The defendants obviously have to, to, to actually do the hard work of reimagining their life and doing the hard work of having their lives reimagined. And the judge has to maintain the flexibility to to determine who is doing stuff out of nefarious reasons and who is doing it out of desperation. Mm -hmm. There's a fine line between an excuse and a reason. Mm -hmm. A reasons have to be flexed for. An excuse won't be tolerated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like that. I like that. So let's talk, so let me ask you, what resources uh, do you, you know, have you offered oh, wow. in your uh, room? Any and every resource that a reentry individual would need. We have a wonderful trauma counselor, um, Dr. Fontes at Newview. We have a myriad of of employment opportunities. Like you know, you, I have somebody. You find out what the need is. Mm -hmm. If this, if it's desperation because I don't have any money, well, we've got employment resources. That if you're an entrepreneur, we have entrepreneurial resources. If you have drug addiction, we, of course, will show you the drug addiction area, mental health. You know, depending upon the, 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 um, the, the priority that needs to be addressed. Because if you have somebody that has a mental health issue that is not cognizant and coherent enough <laughs> to move forward, you have to first stabilize that mental health issue. Sure. If right, you have somebody right. that has a drug addiction issue, well, you can't take them to, you, you can't give them a job. They won't show up. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yep. You have to get them into drug treatment first. Right. If they've been traumatized and, you know, maybe brutalized and, 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 and they, and they have post-traumatic stress disorder or, or more serious mental health issues, you have to give them treatment first. Mm -hmm. And so you have to make sure that they have the basics. Where will they lay their their head and how will right. they eat? Sure, and I and so that's why we we, we have uh, um, shelters uh, um, that that we mm. that we use. We have comprehensive programs like OIC. We have comprehensive programs like Power Core. Power Core is one of my favorite programs for people. My, mind you, you have to have a high school diploma to have Power to get Power Core. So we have a, a, a myriad of GED and. Um, High school and uh, educational programs. Uh, um, the uh, I am more program at CCP. If people want to continue education, um, the Temple program, Temple Well program uh, uh, um, that we use. Uh, uh, Miss Lawrence is a wonderful lady that helps over at Temple. Um, uh, uh, Pastor Robinson has uh, another GED program that's actually a high school diploma program. OIC does the high set program. So once they have their high school diploma or GED, mm. and say they're between eighteen and and 30 years old, but they have no clue what they want to do with their life, right? Mm -hmm. Power Core is a program that pays you $750 every two weeks 
just to work on yourself in the trust portion of it, where they help you get a resume. Oh. They they give you trauma counseling. You, the, the only rule is show up on time because mm -hmm. that, that seven fifty is broken up into daily amounts, right? Mm -hmm. And it. so if you do, if you if you're not if you don't show up, you don't get paid that day. Sure. But all you have to do is show up to take care of yourself, mm. to, 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 to get trauma counseling, to have uh, um, some work experience. To, and then they also have uh, um, foundation, which is the next portion. And you have to apply for foundation. And foundation is uh, the beginning of your career. It's not just the soft skills. The trust program is the soft skills, mm. finding out what it is you want to do, getting you accountable to showing up right, every day sure, and, and sure. all of that kind of stuff. Then you apply for foundation. You get into the foundation program. Now they're paying you nine hundred every two weeks to learn masonry work, solar panel installation, plumbing work, like uh, um, urban uh, uh, um, planning for uh, um, uh, landscaping, landscaping, landscaping yeah, stuff. Yeah. Yep. Uh, um, so they and they give you a career to begin to work with, and then from foundation they get you into in employers or. If you learn that skill and want to be an entrepreneur, they give you entrepreneurial uh, endeavors to, to help you open up your own business after after wow. being an uh, um, an intern at the place of the uh, you know a, a place similar to one which you want to open. Right, right. Wow. So PowerCore is a beautiful program. OIC is uh, um, transforming at this point um, because there is a a, a new Philly uh, um, a program director Don Cave who. Um, 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 has been around for a while, but he gets it, right? So mm -hmm. he knows that these internships have to be paid. Mm -hmm. You got to put money right, in people's right. pocket because yeah. if, if you don't combat the desperation, sometimes, look, look, there's two kinds of people, right? There's reactors and there's actors, right? Mm -hmm. Reactors are like, oh my God, the lights went off. I got to get them back on. Oh my God, the refrigerator's empty. Oh, there's a brick, duck. <laughs> right, right, the re right. Reactors are only doing things to address the things that have already happened. Sure. Mm -hmm. Actors get to put things in place and be able to begin to call their own shots. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to teach folks how to become actors in their own lives. So I have a question. What are some, if you have any, what are some resources that you would, you would have loved to add or that you've seen, hey, you know what, we really need this, but you've maybe had a, a hard time like getting them or CDL anything. for free. <laughs> we're working on it though. We're yeah. no, we're working on it because there is a shortage in, in in you know truck drivers and so forth. And so now we're 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 working on talking to big companies that need truck drivers. Mm -hmm. And so look, some of these truck drivers once they got once they have their CDL credentials and and they and they're working regularly, they can make 70 to 125,000, oh, yeah. right? Good money quick. Right. Yeah. They can make good money quick, right? Yeah. So the, the the defendant coming out of jail doesn't have 7 to 12,000 dollars to get their CDL license. Right, yep. But an Amazon does have seven to twelve thousand dollars that if you're going to pay me a hundred thousand dollars to move your stuff around then over a period of a year get back your twelve thousand dollars you pay it up front i promise to stay until you get your money back and now after a year i could say goodbye to you or i could stay but now i'm making 75 to 125 thousand dollars full credentials and oh nobody nothing so we're working on that i like it okay that's that's an example of one of the resources we're trying to get. <laughs> I, I I respect that out of it's easy sometimes to look for like resources that 
are kind of like low to the ground. Mm -hmm. But to actually look forward and say to big companies, like, you know what, you could actually help us do this thing. That's what we're doing. Like that, I commend that. that that's that's dope. That's a dope but, idea. But you got to also look at the fact that, you know, if you're talking about folks that are, you know, maybe got a ninth grade education and gave up on school, mm -hmm. <clears throat> but were able to exist on the street without getting caught for five or six years and living really nice for those five or six years, mm. it's a hard way to talk. You can't talk somebody out of making $1,000 or $2,000 a week and say, go go make $10 an hour. Yep, yep, yep. That's not going to happen. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 right. I mean, it's, it's 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 unrealistic for you. Look at the, the the dynamics of the world that we have today. You know, a lot of the racial disharmony, you know, is because uh, um, one particular group historically has the assets, and 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 Absolutely. and 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 minorities historically do not. Right. Right. And trying to even the playing the the playing field is implicitly asking those with. To give, give up some of what they right. have. Right. Nobody wants to do that. Now do they? <laughs> Not generally, no. <laughs> well, why would you think, <clears throat> excuse me, why would you think a corner boy is going to say, <clears throat> um, I'll take that $10 an hour, even though that means I got to work 90 hours a week and I'm barely going to just make a, a rent for my, for my kids? Right, yeah. Why would you think that's a, even a, a reasonable request to make? Yeah. So I actually it's have not. one because uh, I've, I've talked to another lawyer that's kind of asked this question. What do you say to those um, who you're offering these resources? Because maybe you as the judge, you see a need, right? OK, you know what? You're this is why you're, you're kind of messing up. Uh, but they're not ready to take accountability. Right. They're not ready to do the, the steps. What does the judge say then? Like, I'm trying to help you, but maybe no. you're not ready to help yourself. I say it a hundred times. I tell people I can issue a hundred orders up here. I can't make you follow any of them. I can only make you sorry when you don't. Mm. <laughs> and that's that is when, a simple answer. And that is when you leverage incarceration. Because, listen, uh, um, I've had a, a couple of situations where people are like, Man, I ain't going back to school, and I'm not doing this, and I'm not doing the other, blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah. Well, I don't think I should... And I say to him, excuse me, sir, I don't mean no harm, or ma'am, I don't mean no harm. But when you got convicted of a crime and are now under my supervision, a lot of what you want goes out the window. Mm -hmm. And if you don't want to try this, <clears throat> then you have to work with me and come up with a better legitimate legal kind of a way to put your head on a pillow and to, mm. and, and to sustain yourself. If you don't have a better plan than I do then you don't have a choice on this plan. Mm -hmm. And I always self tell folks <clears throat> what has happened a couple of times, and that is um, that they just were, I'm not doing this, and I don't give a F what she says. I'm not going, okay, okay, that's fine and dandy. The first time that, that you know, first I give them a, a, a moment to acclimate themselves to a new way of being sentenced and supervised. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, hey, you know what? You're probably not used to this, and you probably thought that I was just making suggestions, but as a judge, I don't sit up here and make suggestions. I issue orders, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, right. And when you don't follow orders, there are consequences. Mm -hmm. And since I understand that you're not used to this, this time I'm going to give you a pass. I'm going to hold it under advisement. I'm going to HUA it. I'm going to give you a pass. But now that you know I'm serious, here's the resource again. You're going to go on Tuesday to do this. You're going to go on Wednesday to do the other. Here's proof that you're doing that, and I'm going to see you on that day where you come back and prove that you've done that. The second time you come back, if you still haven't done anything, mm -hmm. not that you haven't done everything, that you hadn't done anything. Yep. If you still haven't done anything, 
then my position is, oh, okay, okay. So now we're four, five, six months into your probationary period, but you still haven't done anything. Yep. So you know what? Let me push restart. Let me find you in violation. Let me mm -hmm. find you in technical violation for failing to do X, Y, and Z. Let me push restart. And yep. if your initial sentence was three years reporting probation, well, you just wasted my time and yours for the last three or four months. I'm going to resentence you the same three years of reporting probation, and I'm going to promise you things get worse from here. Now, here's your comprehensive sentence. Do this, do that, do the other. <laughs> and let's have a conversation. Yeah. If you feel like you have a better idea that has a legitimate chance of success, let's talk about it and let me give you a resource towards that. If you don't, if you don't have a better idea, then this right here is what you're going to do. Yeah. And the third <laughs> time you come back, having done nothing at all, it's only happened twice, having done nothing at all, the third time you come back having done nothing at all, then I got to resentence you again. This time, I'm going to resentence you to 30 to 60 days of incarceration, mm -hmm. followed by however much time was left that you had from the beginning, right? If it's three years, then it would be two, uh, two, two years and 10 months, yeah, right. right? But here's the key, gentlemen. Don't let them sit for the 30 to 60 days. Mm -hmm. That's a huge mistake because humans adapt, mm -hmm. right? You give them one week. You give them 30 to 60 days mm -hmm. plus whatever time is left. And then you have them come back in literally just seven days. Mm -hmm. Any idea why only seven days? Because they, in my guess, in those seven days, they know they still have probably like 14, 20. And they know that if they just listen, You'll let they them can out. get that. They can get out. Okay. That's if they're thinking logically. <laughs> That's how I'd be thinking well, about that was it. My, well, that was well, going right. to be my answer. No, no, no. The reason why it's only seven days is because if you let them sit for the whole 30 to 60 days, then their bodies have adapted, and they're probably coming back even more recalcitrant. Mm -hmm. They're probably like, hmm, I, I can jail. I can do this. That's Got what it. you get. In seven days, their stomach physiologically still hurts from eating that garbage instead of the food they used to eat. Yeah, they want to they back. Right. Their back physiologically they still hurts from, from sleeping on that slab instead of their bed. Mm -hmm. right. Their memories of home are still, there. are still so fresh that they mentally, emotionally, and physically have not adapted to being in jail. Yep. And then when you come out, I, this is what I say to them. Hi, how was last week? Did you enjoy your stay with the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania? <laughs> Do you know the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania has a whole lot more accommodations just like that for you? Right. Well, if you had a good time, you let me know. Would you like to go back and finish your 30 to 60 days, or would you like to start doing what I've been telling you to do? Yep. And they're going to choose. And I'm assuming that the two that never, have got this far never didn't had, get. Never had a problem after that. I mean, when I say no, no problem, well, one person did get caught up into a situation that was beyond uh, uh, um he was very compliant and was actually trying to get his high school diploma, but unfortunately, a family member got involved into something. He went, and it was yeah. just a bad situation. I think um, but that. but but long story short, was I had no problems with compliance after that. Yeah, <laughs> he understood. No, you know, and the one thing I'll say is, after you know, learning about your sentencing program, the foundation, you know, with my experience, to me, it sounds like our juvenile system, but on steroids. And it should be. Exactly. Because it's, for some reason, we always care, so, and I'm not saying we shouldn't, but we always care so much about juveniles, right? They're young. They didn't know. The whole goal is to rehabilitate them, mm -hmm. make sure that, you know, they're productive adults. And, you know, the whole goal is not incarceration with juveniles. We get that. It's great. The second you turn 18, for some reason, we go, 
No, no, put you in jail, though. Right. We and don't care about you being productive. If you right. were 17, we would have. Right. But now that you're 18, 18, we want you to be worthless, I guess. Like, I never understood that. And, and worse and worse than that, worse than that, when you look at the neuroscience of decision-making, you know that the uh, 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 frontal cortex is not fully grown until yeah. your mid-20s. Exactly. So you take an 18-year-old kid... And and let's let's backtrack and remember what does the frontal cortex lobe do? It's in charge of impulse control Troll. and decision making. <laughs> yeah. So they're making poor decisions because they are following impulses that they're not able to stop. And then, of course, what do desperate people do when you catch them on it? They double down on Correct. their stupidness. Absolutely. So so and if they're eighteen or nineteen. Oh, 2023 20, 20 especially especially 2223 yeah, cuz yeah. it's over 21 where the law says they're grown now they can yeah, drink yeah, they yeah. can tell their mom to go <laughs> right. away and not blah 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 <laughs> but but now they're still 22 23 years old yep. but that they're still not fully no. formed they're still not really <laughs> ready to 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 take the 10 look it's not like they're unable to make a decent decision but in the heat of the passion yeah. You have to be able, <clears throat> you have to be able to have that few minutes where you go, oh, if I do this, this will happen. Yep. If I do that, exactly. that'll happen. They they don't have that space nope. yeah. in their brain at eighteen or nineteen to go, ooh, ooh, wait a minute, if I do this, that's gonna. They don't they don't think consequences. Right. Nope. They I I find that that's interesting because I find that same thing. Obviously, as the older I get, it's the younger. I'm noticing, oh man, if you just had maybe one more minute to think this through, you it's like by the right time now. they get to me in jail, they already know, they, they can reiterate, oh man, I shouldn't have did this, I should have did it this way. I'm like, now imagine if you had got there before, before like you just, you thought it, it sounded like a good idea and you did it because it sounded good in the moment. But now that you had to sit in this box mm-hmm. with your thoughts, you actually thought a few steps, which yeah. you knew. Right, but wait. Add to that lack of control on 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 impulse control mm-hmm. and decision making. Add to that peer pressure. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Add, Sometimes like they don't have a choice. Add peer pressure to that, where they see their boys getting in the car and know they're getting ready to do something stupid. Right. But they don't have the the, the impulse control, the decision making, and the strength to go. Nah, nah y'all go ahead. Yep. Right. And, the, and and how many of your clients were in the passenger seat? Oh, yeah. Oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yep. 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 Happens all the time. Right? Happens all the time. All the time. Guys, I tell you, be careful whose car you get into. Yeah. Okay? Be careful who your friends are. Be careful who gets into your car. Exactly. I've also had those. Right. Sure. Sure you're right. Sure you're right. When the cop stops and they found us in the car, yep. and it's your car, so now it's yours. Yep. Uh-huh. And you thought your friend was a good friend until it turns out he doesn't know whose it belongs to. And uh-huh. that, oh, interesting. All right. And we know how that works. You both tend to get arrested. Yep. Right? And, yep. and, and, and the one who didn't own the car... So listening to the lawyer saying, hey, just say you didn't know anything about yeah. it. Did, did it. Did it get any prints on it? Did, yeah, yeah. Any, any DNA on it? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So let me, let me, let me move on to the, uh, one of the drop downs on your website mm-hmm. is for nonprofits, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so on the website, it speaks about how nonprofits can reach out to you. Mm-hmm. And nonprofits, if you are a nonprofit and you're watching this, please reach out. Sentencefoundation.org. Um, there you go, sentencingfoundation.org. So can you explain what a nonprofit would, would uh, what's the process? Mm-hmm, just, just a little bit about that. Okay, so first of all, uh, um, in, in the process of running resource-based sentencing supervision, I found 
that the most efficacious resources are run by formerly incarcerated folks, yeah. right? Well, that makes but sense. Exactly. If it you've makes been, sense. If you've been through the process of what it takes to stay out of jail, or, you know, look, look, who best to show a drug addict not to how to get how to get over the problem with drugs? A former drug addict. Right. Yeah, yeah. Who better? You know, somebody that walked a mile in your shoes Absolutely. has a much better view to help you with what's going on and has an understanding because you can't actually teach anybody if, unless you can reach that person, mm -hmm. right? And so what I found is that there were a lot of people that maybe spent five or ten years down, came out wanting to help, but they didn't know how, mm -hmm. right? They didn't have them. They, they had to feed themselves, sure. right? So they didn't have the money to just volunteer because they had to, you know, keep a roof over their head. They didn't know how to put a nonprofit organization together. Mm -hmm. They didn't know how to do grant writing to mm -hmm. to. to you know, nonprofit organization doesn't mean you can't get money. Mm -hmm. You can most certainly get money. Just at the end of the day, the organization can't make, make money. any money. Yep. But they can certainly pay fees. They can certainly pay salaries. They can certainly yep. pay people for their work, right? So uh, um, one of the main thoughts behind it is that when we get folks that were interested in being a reentry resource, particularly those that are reentry folks themselves, right, um, we teach that all they have to do is go to sentenceandfoundation.org, reach out and say, hey, I would love to start a nonprofit organization. And then we'll refer you to our specialist mm -hmm. who will give you the paperwork and talk you through filling it out to mm -hmm. get your nonprofit status. Mm -hmm. And then get you, once you have the nonprofit status, get you involved with other judges that will help you uh, um, have participants as well. And then we'll also help you with grant writing and also down the line in about a year or so when we get, because look, we, we're new, 50% right. of all that we collect is intended to, to help fund and give grants to the very small, efficacious uh, uh, reentry resources. Now, for those who already have uh, a nonprofit organization that are already operating as a nonprofit organization, mm -hmm. all you need to do is contact sentencingfoundation.org. And then we will. You get registered. Mm -hmm. They'll tell you. We, we, we'll, we'll, you'll tell us what services that you perform, what your service area is, and we'll link you to judges that will refer people to you, right? Mm -hmm. And ultimately, not now, as we move forward and we get more judges involved, which is what we're trying to do at, at this particular juncture. Um, at, at, at moving forward, that nonprofit organization. Imagine never having to look for your participants. All you have to do is what you do. Yeah. Yep. That's the that's the power in it. Yep. And right. in addition to not having to look for your participants, you also have the status listings with the judges, which makes the participants show up. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, you come to court <clears throat> and say, "Hey, judge, you referred me X, Y, and Z, and they're not showing up." Yep. Right. Right. So, so we not only give you your participants, we police their attendance as well. Mm -hmm. So it's a big, it, it's a win-win. <clears throat> For a yeah. nonprofit organization, it's a win-win for folks coming out of jail that want to help, that you can get walked through how to do it. That's a whole new uh, uh, productive societal function that can be filled by reentry uh, folks mm -hmm. that will be able to feed themselves and their families and be proud of how they're doing it by by feeding their soul in terms of uh, uh, their passion project, mm -hmm. right? And and getting the assistance of an organization that would show them step by step how to do it. So it's a win win. Rather you fully have your nonprofit status or rather you don't. Well, I I want to know, and I'm not asking you to throw anybody under the bus, right? Um, but have you, I know you want, and you're working on getting other judges to take mm -hmm. part in this. Mm -hmm. Are you getting any pushback? 
right? Because I don't really understand what the pushback would be. Um, and no, again, not don't no. throw anybody <laughs> in the bus. No, no, I would, never, I, I, I would never do that. I would never do that. Um, but I, 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 I'm, I'm not getting very specific pushback, right? Okay. What I'm getting is um, um, I'm getting mixed participation. I'm getting um, um, folks that might think it's a lot of work for the judge. So I was just going to say, right? The one thing that I could see is somebody saying it's too much work for a judge to take on. Now, well, so wait, let me stop you there. But here's what I'll say, right? And then, because uh, I'll stop, because what I would say is if, if everybody kind of took your program and ran with it, right, you would actually have less work in the long run. But I'll say that and I'll let you go. But I could see that being a criticism. Okay, no, that that, that is a criticism. Um, but <laughs> those of you that know me, it's it's I, I'm picking up on that criticism. It's not that anybody actually came to me and oh, said anything. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah, right. yeah. But but let me say this: number one, this whole program was created while I was doing it. Mm -hmm. Right, it was a lot of work, and it still is a bit of work. But all of the heavy lifting is done. Mm -hmm. right. All you have to do as a judge now is to get on a website, reach out to the Sentencing Foundation. Somebody within 24 hours will get back to you and get you a binder. Mm -hmm. If we don't have the resources in your area, we will create that section for you. Mm -hmm. And in this thing is not just an overview and frequently asked questions, mm -hmm. it's also a quick start that's three pages long <laughs> on how to jump in and get started. Sure. If you need help with an intern program or resources or any of that, you call the Sentencing Foundation. So prior to creating the Sentencing Foundation, yeah, in fact, I used to, uh, you know, do the resource networking events because I was trying to make sure we had enough resources to make this work, sure, right? Sure. Um, but now the Sentencing Foundation is doing the resource networking events. The Sentencing Foundation is scheduling the each the jurisdictions for the judges to vet the programs together because you want the judges in each jurisdiction to talk about the program and say, "Hey, I got a lot of bad feedback from this one." They get scratched off the list. Sure. I got great feedback for this one so that each of the judges can help each other with comprehensive sentencing plans and how to supervise. And that's part of how judges help each other to use this program. Once every other month for 30 minutes, you jump on a Zoom. How is that hard? Yeah. It's not. You 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 call the sentencing <clears throat> foundation, you get a binder. If there's anything you don't know how to do, you call them back or to email them back, and you say, hey, I have a question. I do comprehensive tutorials on the entire binder. Uh, there, there's nothing that the Sentencing Foundation does not do for the judge. Mm -hmm. All they have to do is try. So when you say you do comprehensive tutorials, where would people find those? Or do no, you do them just for, like, the judges that yes, need yes, it? Yes, yes, no, just for the judges. Okay, gotcha. And what, 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 how that works is that uh, um, when you reach out to the Sentencing Foundation and you have a binder mm -hmm. and there are questions, it starts off with, hey, I have a question, and then I will or I will have uh, other interns make sure that the answers are there if they're not in the frequently asked questions. Okay. Sure. And then once we have more than uh, a handful of people that want comprehensive uh, uh, um, tu tutoring, um, excuse me, uh, comprehensive tutorials, okay. 
then we'll create one. Yeah. Right, right, right. Then, then, then on Zoom, I will actually have these sessions. And, and be honest with you, I, I went to New Orleans um, to judicial educators, and I'm connecting with judicial educators because I'm trying to get this in repertoires of national judicial education uh, oh, nice. um, places awesome. so that they can teach these in CJEs, Continuing Judicial Education. Mm -hmm. um, and so... You know, ultimately, this needs to be in law schools and, and criminal justice programs. Ultimately, this is it, it's it, it it is the it's a system of accountability that basically just uses common sense re answers on how to reduce recidivism and therefore how to reduce mass incarceration. Mm -hmm. Simple. It's not. It's 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 actually um, beautiful in its simplicity. I, I would totally agree. I agree. It, it, it is such a good idea. And sometimes when we have good ideas, they stay in the idea area for too no, long. No, JJ, you know me better than that. <laughs> and this is, this is clearly moved beyond the idea. And now this is something that I think that people can get behind. It makes a lot of sense. Um, it, you're, you know, you, you're giving this a face. And at the same time, you seem to be open to like, listen, I... This is my idea, but I want this to thrive. I want people. I'm open for feedback. I'm mm -hmm. open for things. Everything that we've asked, like, listen, I've thought of these things, and if yep. you come up with something better, I'm willing to listen. That is, to me, what makes a program run and stay running is that you're consistently scratching out, trying new. Mm -hmm. That is important. Yep. And, and I'll tell you, as you were talking about that, um, one of the things that we have mm. in our, our binder is that we needed to show when people uh, um, are referred to a program that they actually go to the program. So that's our program verification form because it tells me when you decide to get enrolled. Mm -hmm. And then the attendance sheet tells me that you're going. True. Right? And lots of times uh, uh, folks don't bring their paperwork back. That's why the resource has to tell us what's going on as well. Sure. Well, now um, I'm working with uh, um, the accountability program that that was created by uh, uh, Judge DeRossi, who was a colleague of mine, a really good friend of mine as well. Um, and he and a, a, a lawyer and his executive director have a, a program called the Accountability Program, right? Well, the Accountability Program and the Sentencing Foundation have a, a, a memorandum of understanding that was just recently signed because we're going to work together. The Accountability Program is actually utilized in drug treatment court. Mm -hmm. And so they give the drug treatment facilities a QR code, and then the, the defendants that are ordered to go to them have that QR code that they hit on their cell phone. Yep. And so that allows them to have the dates that they are uh, showing up, when they were enrolled. All of that information will be at their fingertips, and that will actually streamline and make it easier for us to know when they're showing up and when they're not showing up. Uh, um, yep. And so that's why we're working together, and it's not just... It, they, their intentions were to be proactive on relapses. Sure. So if people mm. stop, go, stop going to drug treatment court, they probably relapsed. Correct. You know? Or in a few cases, maybe they don't need it anymore because some people do successfully... Uh, um, stop sure, going sure, to drug sure, treatment, right. but the plethora is a relapse, right? Yeah. Well, the same principle can go to the GED class, mm -hmm. can go to the the job, the the trauma class. It's the same principle, right? Right. We just take that and use the the, the and so use the accountability program to be able to make sure that all of our resources, when there, our resources are fully registered with the Sentencing Foundation, they'll all have QR codes. Mm -hmm. That's genius. So I only really have 
two more things for you. Um, the first one is, if and correct me if I'm wrong, this is essentially uh, run by donations, right? People have to go to uh, your your website. Okay, so that's a sticky question because I'm not allowed to, as a sitting judge, I can't say or do anything that can be construed as uh, um, fund raising. But okay. I'll, I'll answer the question this way. Um, there is a multi-leveled way that the Sentencing Foundation will ex uh, uh, um, have the financial stability moving forward in, uh, um, to meet the need. Okay. The first thing is, is ultimately, this particular binder will get published, and I will allow 80% of the royalties to stay with the Sentencing Foundation, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. Number one. Mm -hmm. Number two... We have trained a group of grant writers, mm -hmm. um, and this month is grant writing month. And so we also have a board members that are finding uh, um, non-public funding for grant writing to occur. So in the next month or two, that's our push for grant writing. Mm -hmm. um, there will also be private donations and fundraisers that I, as a sitting judge, have to stay completely out of because mm -hmm. okay. of rules of judicial ethics reasons that I mm -hmm. can't get involved in. Um, there is also a board member who is um, Isaiah Thomas, who is here, who mm -hmm. is our legislative director. And so um, locally, they will get funding from grant from, from governmental entities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we have a department that's going to look for governmental entities. Mm -hmm. We have a department that's doing grant writing. Mm -hmm. We have uh, private donation fundraising, and ultimately we have the uh, royalties that will hopefully, uh, um, once the program really gets out there and it mm -hmm. begins to thrive in a way that non-judges become interested in it right, and maybe right. want to purchase the book or <clears throat> sure. maybe schools are interested in it. As right. we move forward, uh, um, as this moves forward, that uh, um, publishing uh, uh, royalties, like I said, so there's those several different sources um, that we sure. are implementing and all of the above strategy on. Makes sense. Well, the last thing I want to do is, is thank you for your time. Um, this has a, been a breath of knowledge for me. Um, and the, the last thing I want to ask you is you spoke a lot about PowerCore, and I know you know a lot of your colleagues. Mm -hmm. You understand what we're trying to do here. Um, is there anybody that you think, you know, like, hey, look, you guys should talk to this person next, and then mm -hmm. I'll put you on the spot. Can you help me get them Seated in the seat. <laughs> well, so I'm going to tell you can... right now, uh, anybody that is a, a, a person in industry that claims to care, mm -hmm. let's put them on the spot and let them put their money where their mouth is. I like I, that. I, trucking industries, I think, I like are specifically where my, my, my focus is right now. Okay. We, we, we have uh, trucking industries. Um, we have... Um, um, the, uh, the trade unions and the reason why those are so important is because you know, let's 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 think logically about this right with global warming mm -hmm. we are having more frequent and more violent weather mm -hmm. and what does that do that floods yep. that tears up freezes that freezes <laughs> exactly and so what that means is that construction folks are always going to make money Electricians are going to always make money. Plumbers, I mean, they're Plumbers all... are going to always make money. Truck drivers are going to always make money. Mm -hmm. These are decent living wages that oh, they yeah. can raise families on. And so our next move is to put industries on the spot and say, hey, 
why don't you invest in the workforce that you claim to want? Mm -hmm. Very well said. Do you have anything else you wanted to add? Nope. No, I'm good. Thank you very much. Again. Well, thank you for your time, gentlemen. I'm always here to, 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 to talk a little bit more about it. And for those of you also interested in one of our board members is, uh, uh, I got to mention him. I got to give a special <laughs> shout out. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. He's not yet a board member, but um, our, we've been talking to the board and, and we'll be ratifying him um, from all that I hear from other board members um, this Thursday. Mm -hmm. um, his name is Luis Suave Gonzalez. And the reason I'm oh, giving yeah. him a shout out is because um, Suave is a juvenile lifer. Mm -hmm. Suave is somebody who spent 31 years in prison, seven years in jail, and taught himself how to read. Mm -hmm. Wrote a few books, um, and when the uh, Supreme Court determined that giving juveniles life without a, a possibility of parole was uh, in violation of the Eighth Amendment, he was one of the folks that were uh, released. He got released in 2017. And in 2017, he got out. He wrote a couple of books. Um, but he also has always been in that reentry space after 31 years of his life went, went, mm -hmm. went, went, was in jail. Um, but he also is a 2022 Pulitzer Prize mm -hmm. winner for audio reporting with 1.8, or I think he told me more than that now, but that, <laughs> that was the last, 1.8 listeners. And so he is not only going to be a board member on the Sentencing Foundation, he's going to be a huge part of how we get the word out. Awesome. So I want to give a shout out to Suave. Absolutely. Absolutely. Shout out to Suave. It's Gonzalez, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I hope to be death able to work him out. Death by incarceration. Yes. Death by. Uh, we, we can get him. I'll get, I'll get him here for you. That's what I like <laughs> to hear. And on that note, guys, I ain't got nothing else to say. Stay safe. Be blessed. Don't let us see you. Fight.